Hello everybody, welcome to Learn to Pray. I'm your host, pastor, teacher, and author, Taryn Gaddis. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the ESV translation of God's word says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All of us love a story of transformation. And that is our focus today. Transformation. Did you know the Hulk, Captain America, Beauty and the Beast, Pinocchio, X-Man, the Ugly Duckling, and even Scrooge are all stories of a person experiencing a true change or transformation. We are all a people that enjoy seeing others change for the better, aren't we? We want to see others find their way, so to speak, to be something that they only dreamed of. Whether it be Cinderella, who was a lowly housemaid, who in the end becomes the princess, or a skinny weakling like Captain America, we enjoy seeing change. We cheer, don't we? we? We cheer that cheer them as they become what they were not. We feel their pain as they deal with adversity and adversity of becoming what they desire to be. But we're not all, we're not a people that embrace change, do we? Where transformation almost causes you to break out, doesn't it? That we don't embrace change when it comes to ourselves. We love to see it in others, but it's a little troubling when it comes to us. Most of us know that there is something not quite right in our lives, and we strive to do better, to correct some behavior, or act nicer. The Apostle Paul is taking his time in the first chapters of the book of Romans to explain to us the greatest and the, and the, the greatness and the glory of our salvation. You Bible readers would know that in Romans 5, he tells us how we have been saved from the penalty of sin. In Romans chapter 6, he tells us how we are being saved from the power of sin. And in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, he tells us how we, how one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. 
Now, evidently Paul was so excited about this truth that he could not wait to tell us about it. So, he gives us a preview in the first 11 verses of this chapter. Verses 1 and 2, we see the past tense of salvation. In verses 3 through 5, we see the present tense of salvation. And in verses 6 through 11, we see the future tense of salvation. And then in verse 12 to 21 of the same chapter, Paul will explain to us how we are saved from the penalty of sin. Again in chapter 7, he will tell us how we are being saved from the power of sin. In chapter 7 and 8, he's telling us, he tells us how we will be saved from the presence of sin. With that said, you'll agree with me that mankind has a problem, and it's a sin problem. The problem of, hum of the human heart is the heart of the human problem. Once again, the problem of the human heart is the heart of the human problem. Sin separates us from God. The scripture teaches us in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 59 and 2, but your iniquity, your sin, your transgressions has separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, my brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, when, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he was immediately cut off from the fellowship with God. Before Adam sinned, we see God walking with Adam. But after Adam sinned, we see God looking for Adam. Before Adam sinned, we see Adam talking with God. But after Adam sinned, we see Adam running from God. There, there's a great gulf that now exists between God and man. But when the Lord Jesus came, he rebuilt the bridge. He moved the barrier and he restored the blessings of having a relationship with God. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did at Calvary, we have had restored, we have a restored relationship. He has restored uh, to us two things that our father Adam lost in Eden. One, we have acceptance with God. Verse one says, and therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every person apart from Christ is in a constant state of war with God. War was declared in the Garden of Eden now, let's be, let's, let's be clear, ladies and gentlemen, God has never declared war on man, but man has declared war on God. Man and God have been at odds ever since. You see, every person without Christ, the Bible teaches, is at enmity with God. Enmity comes from the same Latin root word as enemy and means the state of being an enemy. 
If you have always hated, it, it is as if you always hated someone and you have a history of enmity with that person. Enmity is a strong, is stronger than hostility and animosity, which implies competitive feelings, but don't go all the way to enemy status because the carnal mind is at enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The unsaved person, in other words, the unsaved person has no desire to follow God and takes no delight in obeying God. And there is a, there is a barrier between man and God, and that barrier is sin, S-I-N. And there's no neutral ground in this war between man and God. You are either for God or you are against God. You are either under condemnation or you are under justification. Now, condemnation means that God declares us sinners, which is a declaration of war. On the other hand, if you flip the record and play the other side, justification means that God declares us righteous, which is a declaration of peace. We are plainly told in Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Did you hear that? Did you hear the word perfect in the verse? Every other peace except a God-given peace is in perfect peace that will not last. The only perfect peace is the peace of God. But you'll never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And you'll never have peace with God until you make peace with the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, peace is not something you find as much as it is something you receive. There was a woman who was dying she was laying on her deathbed. And you know, a friend stopped by, leaned over and asked her, Dear friend, have you made peace with God? Now, the friend meant well. But the lady that was laying on her deathbed said, Friend, no, I haven't. And his friend said back to her, well, don't you think it's time that you did so? The woman on the deathbed says, friend, no, I'm resting in the peace Jesus made for me. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have peace with God. We don't have to make peace. We just have to receive the peace that only comes from the Prince of Peace. Can I give it to you one more time? The only perfect peace is the peace of God. But you'll never have the Prince, the peace of God until you have peace with God. And you'll never have peace with God until you make peace with the Prince of Peace, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes and he tells us that we now have acceptance with God. 
But not only do we have acceptance with God in this matter of transformation, but we also get, guess what? We have access to God. Verse 2 says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The word access, I love it. The, the word access literally means introduction. It means that we have been given entry. The word literally means entrance, entrance to the king through the favor of another one. Interest to the king through the favor of another one. That is, a, that, that is a tremendous definition, isn't it? You, you see, we can not only enjoy peace with God, we can enjoy the presence of God. Through this idea of transformation, we can not only enjoy the peace of God, but we can enjoy the presence of God. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, once again, we can not only walk with God, we can talk with God. There was a time when Jews were kept from the presence of God by the veil of the temple. And then there is the Gentiles that were kept out by the walls of the temple that even had a warning on that, that any Gentiles who went past this wall would be killed. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, he tore the veil and separated that separated Jews from God, and he broke down the walls that separated the Gentiles from God. Now, both Jews and Gentiles have unlimited access to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through this transition of being saved and the process of being saved and ultimately be saved, we have to remember Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 for for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father you see it is one thing to believe in god it is even another thing to know some things about god it is still another thing to know god but it is a wonderful thing to have fellowship with God. I think that's good enough to repeat again. There's one thing to believe in God. There's another thing to know some things about God. And it is still another thing to know God. But it is a wonderful thing like none other to have fellowship with God to actually walk into the throne room of God and spend time gazing into the face of God. To spend time at the feet of God. To spend time talking to God. To spend time hearing from God. To spend time loving on God. To spend time in worshiping Him. There was a little boy one time who was standing outside the gate of Buckingham Palace in London. 
he wanted to talk to the king. But as he walked up to the gate, one of his guards very rudely shoved him away and told him to get away. The little boy was dissolved into tears. He had given up all hope that he would ever see his king. With his head down, tears rolling from his face, sobbing. About that time, a well-dressed young man came along and saw the little boy crying and asked him, What's wrong, son? When he heard the story, the young man said, Son, you just hold my hand and walk with me. And don't even pay attention to those soldiers or those guards. Well, the little boy uh, gingerly took the young man's hand and to his amazement saw the soldiers leap to attention and present their arms as they walked through the palace grounds. Past the guards, he was led along carpeted hallways through wide flinging doors until finally he came right into the very throne room of the king. And then, face to face with the king himself, he could not believe it, much less understand it. Then the young man spoke up and said, Father, I brought a friend to see you. This little boy had been ta- had taken the hand of the Prince of Wales and the son of the king. It is one thing to have acceptance. It's another thing to have access. Anytime that we, anytime we want to talk to the king of the universe, anytime that we want to get into the throne room of God, we don't have to come in in our own merits. We have his son, the prince of peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is take his hand and walk in to the very throne room of God. Not only does Paul tell us that we have access and acceptance, but in verse 3, he said, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, without a question, this is one of the most difficult statements in the Bible. How on earth can we possibly glory in tribulation? How possibly can we rejoice in our suffering? It doesn't matter what is produced in the suffering, but who rejoices in right in their in their good mind rejoices in suffering? Well, first of all, we need to understand that there's no crown without a cross. There is no glory without grief. There is no shout without sorrow. But that still raises a question. How can we glory in our suffering? Well, there are two principles to keep in mind the next time you're going through some suffering, some trials and tribulation. We got to remember God's purpose in our suffering. 
that God has a perfect purpose in our suffering. He has a purpose for our trials. He has a purpose for our tribulation. And it is to transform the life of his children. He never wastes a pain. He never wastes a problem. He never wastes a predicament. God comes in and he transforms us through our suffering. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that in this greatly in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus you see ladies and gentlemen we are so concerned about what is happening to us that we forget that God is more concerned with our reaction that comes from us. Oftentimes, God sends suffering, he sends trials, he sends tribulation, or he allows suffering and trials and tribulation to come into our lives to test our faith, to try our faith, and to toughen our faith. We gotta remember the purpose of our suffering, but then there is, we got to remember not only the, the, the purpose of our suffering, but we got to remember God's presence in our suffering. We got to remember God's purpose in our suffering. We got we, we to gotta then learn to remember God's presence in our suffering. The light of the sun is never more appreciated than in the darkness of night. You'll never find that you will never, you'll find that you'll never be closer to God than when you are in the middle of a storm. It is the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who rightly said, the refiner is never far from the furnace when his gold is in the fire. The refiner is never far from the furnace when his goal is in the fire. All of us understand the the metamorphosis of a of a butterfly moves from an ugly, crawly caterpillar into a cocoon. And while in the cocoon, a tremendous transformation takes place. But there was a story about a little boy who was watching that transformation. And he couldn't wait. 
He saw the caterpillar moving around and he saw the transformation taking place, but he couldn't see on the inside. He could only see the movement on the outside. And thus the little boy, impatient, decided to help the caterpillar transform into a butterfly. So he carefully opened up the cocoon. There came out deformed half caterpillar half butterfly he was so disgusted he ran to his father and, and said daddy look, look look what happened I, 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 was, I was waiting for it to transform into a caterpillar from a caterpillar to a butterfly his daddy said son what you don't what you don't know is is that there's a transformation taking place on the inside of that cocoon. And as that as that butterfly gets ready to emerge from its time in the cocoon, and the transformation of a caterpillar into a into a beautiful butterfly has, has been done, it it's squeezing out and it's it, it's nudging out and it's it's fight to come out of the cocoon cocoon is what transforms the butterfly reduces the butterfly's body and strengthens the butterfly and straightens out the butterfly's wings. Can I share with you that the next time that you're struggling, the next time you are straining, the next time you are being stretched, the next time you're going through trials and tribulation and, and times of testing, I want you to know that that struggle is what's going to have you come out as pure gold. Remember what Charles Spurgeon said, the refiner never far from the furnace when his gold is in the fire. Remember that God is never too far away when you're going through what he's going through. Because you have because you have access and you have acceptance. Let's pray. Most gracious and loving Father, how wonderful to know that we can have peace with you through our faith in Jesus Christ. The wrath that should have been poured out on me because of my sin was poured out on your only begotten Son who willingly took the punishment that I deserved. He did this so that I can have peace with you forever. Loving Father, like Paul, I want to rejoice in my suffering and my sufferings, which are only for a moment, in the knowledge that the joy set before me 
is sure and founded on your unchanging promise. Give me a teachable spirit and a willingness to rejoice in the Lord. No, no matter what the difficulties that I have to face, may my life be a testimony of your goodness and your grace. Thank you that I have access by faith in your amazing grace. And then I've been enabled to stand firmly in the evil days. I praise you that my hope is based on nothing less than the person and the work of Jesus Christ who cannot and will not disappoint. Thank you, loving Father, for your unconditional and unchangeable love. You have poured your love so abundantly and gener generously into my heart. Father, enable me to show forth your love in my life so that others will come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen.